you have your Bibles either in paper format or in digital format on a phone, please turn to Ephesians 6, verse 10. The Word of God says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. So stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith which can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in Christ. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. This is the word of the Lord. Tonight, uh, we're going to finish our series in spiritual warfare. I'm gonna, two weeks ago, I talked about angelology, angels. Today, I'm going to finish with the armor of God this morning. But tonight, I'm gonna, we're just with that class this meeting. I'm going to meet with a group of us um, and just to talk about this morning's passage, any questions around spiritual warfare, and as well about angels from two weeks ago. So if you weren't here two weeks ago and you're coming tonight, you can listen to it this afternoon as that will give you uh, just some idea of what we're going to be launching into this evening. How do you fight the devil? Earlier in the book of Ephesians, Paul said that our fight is against the devil. Our temptation comes from the devil, our flesh, and the world. That we're battling the flesh, the world, and Satan himself. How do you fight the devil? Here in this passage, Paul offers what the armament of God looks like. As we are awakened to his kingdom, and we put off the old self and put on the new self, there are some very specific ways that God talks about us in Christ. Rick Reed talked about this when he was here uh, last year, actually. It's always stuck with me. Just the whole idea of the battle between the old sinful nature and the new Nature is often this, the muscle memory you have. He talked about how, you know, he hadn't ridden a bike in a long time. You get on a bike and all of a sudden you're pedaling and it's like you've never gotten off of one. You have this muscle memory. And the same thing is true that even though you've put on the new self, that your sinful nature still carries a bunch of muscle memory in it. And so you, if you were a liar previous to coming to faith in Christ or greedy or bitter or envious, that muscle memory still is having an effect on you. And all of a sudden, you still find yourself delving into sexual sin. You still find yourself delving into um, whatever sin it would be, greed, bitterness. Um, because you're, you're learning to put on the new self as you put off the old self. We've all found this to be true in different ways. For me, it's not riding a bike. I, I have some friends I grew up with who've moved back to Cayuga, where I went to school growing up. And uh, Amy and I and the twins went to see some of them this summer. And 
I drove out, and I could just take all the back roads. I didn't need a GPS. I didn't need anything. I, I mean, I kind of need to remember where, I didn't know where their new house was, if that makes sense, but I knew the road. I knew it was beside, they're all like the house that they'd grown up. I thought, I can just do this, and you did. You're just driving, and the kids in the back are like, the twins are like, Dad, how do you know where to go without like the GPS stuff? And I'm like, it's just muscle memory. I just know where to turn. Now, occasionally your muscle memory is incorrect, and they've put up a stop sign in the last 30 years, and you're driving down, and you're like, whoa, that was a stop sign. And everyone in the car is like, yes, it was, Dad. Yes, it was. Because your muscle memory is not telling you it was there because it wasn't there, and there's no new sign, which means it's been there for a while. You just haven't driven there in a while. Um, but that's what happens. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves frustrated as, as we're putting off the old self, putting on the new self, and we're battling the enemy. We're battling him. Now, why in Ephesians? Why do you think Paul specifically talks about the armor of God in Ephesians? Why not in one of his other letters? Why this one? Well, I'd like to suggest one of the things you should always do when you're reading a New Testament epistle is to see if there's any... Uh, any corresponding portion in the book of Acts. So we just went through the book of Acts. So I'm going to do a quiz right now. I'm going to point to two of you that were here in Acts and ask you why. No, I'm kidding. Um, but in Acts, in Acts 19, right, Paul shows up in Ephesus. The Greek goddess uh, Artemis is worshipped there. And after a couple of years of the gospel being proclaimed, so many people have turned to faith in Christ that they're no longer worshiping the goddess Artemis. And when that happens, Demetrius says, man, to all the other silversmiths who would create little idols of Artemis. They, they would help with the shrine temple. They would help creating, you know, little things you could take home from the temple. Hey, take a little bit of Artemis with you when you leave today, right? You could purchase these things and take them home. This was happening, right? All of a sudden, there's a great battle. Demetrius says, we're losing income. This is terrible. And, and he also says the, the goddess Artemis is no longer being worshipped. So he creates a riot. Paul, they say, stay back. Don't get involved with this. Others are dragged out into the riot. But the demonic in Ephesus is strong. It's likely why in Ephesus and nowhere else in Acts you find that the, uh, the aprons and the handkerchiefs that touch Paul are able to heal the sick and cast out demons. Not something I think God is repeating through history. I think that happened very specifically there in, uh, and I'm not saying he can't ever do it, just saying it's not commonplace, uh, but there, there in Ephesus to combat the spiritual warfare that was going on. Because as we learned on one of the Sunday nights, right, the demonic can attach itself to objects as well as to people. And so in the book of Corinthians, that's why Paul says, as he's talking about people eating food that's sacrificed to idols. And he says, we know an idol is nothing, but he also says we also know that that nothing has been, has been created by the demonic, that there's actually demons involved here. And so demons can attach themselves to objects. So likely, as people are bringing these objects home with them, these objects are demonic. Maybe not all of them, but many of them. And so now they have demons in their home. Right? It's why you, have to, you need to be careful about what you buy. When people are buying crystals and think it's nothing, I, I believe that some of that stuff is so demonic that you're bringing the demonic into your home. You're actually inviting it in. You're bringing occult-like stuff into your place. And then it's having an influence on you. So I believe Paul is writing, and he's writing to the church in Ephesus, about spiritual warfare so specifically because of what happened in Acts 19 and 20. 
And so as we looked a few weeks ago about not allowing the devil to have a foothold in your life, this is how. Ephesians 6 is how. Allowing the devil a foothold is a number of ways. You can allow a devil a foothold in your life, whether you're a believer or non-believer, right? If you don't remember that, you can go back and listen to the message a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago. Believer or unbeliever, though, though if you're a believer, the demonic can't own you, but you can still grant them a foothold. Scripture makes that clear, right? Typically, there's a variety of ways. Unrepentant sin is one of them. When you continue to sin, you're greedy, and you continue in your greed. You don't honor God with your wealth. You know, though you have income coming in, you just choose to ignore honoring God with your wealth. That's one of the ways, right? Could be any, any repetitive sin. Could be bitterness. Could be, could be resentment. A, a couple of areas that are really strong. Uh, one is sexual sin. It's, it's why in 1 Corinthians, when Paul talks about not uniting yourself with the prostitute, sexual sin seems to be one of those sins when you've had multiple partners or you're continuing to look at pornography that allows the demonic to have a foothold. Right? And so it's one of those things that has to be broken in your life. Um, another one is, of course, when you've been involved with the occult. Right? When you've been involved in occult-like things. Ouija boards. Uh, some of the horror movies that are out there. Uh, many other things right, that are there. And so, and so all of a sudden you grant the devil a foothold. And so Paul here, after suggesting uh, that the devil can grant a foothold in our life, is explaining how we avoid it. So I'm just going to go back. In, in, in Ephesians 6.10 he says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I think that's important. The armament he's about to tell you to put on, for the most part, isn't armament that you fight with. It's armament that you actualize in your life for God's power. It's recognizing the work of Christ in your life and seeing it actualized as God's power in the fight. Notice, he says, put on the full armor of God. So we are putting on the accomplished work of Christ. I'll explain that as we go through the armament. He reminds us that our struggle is not flesh and blood, but note he names four things. Rulers, authorities, powers of the dark world, spiritual forces of, of evil in the heavenly realms. This would seem to indicate that there's more than one category of the demonic and of evil. That the devil has an array of those fighting on his side. And maybe because of this, some people would say this might be an example of their rank. Does this indicate the various rank that they have? I'm not sure. It doesn't say that. But that is a possibility. He says, I want you to put on the full armor of God so that when evil comes against you, that day of evil comes. Not that there's one day of evil, but a day of evil comes against you. You can stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Paul may be thinking of the armament in a moment here because of the soldiers that are guarding him. That's a possibility. But when a gladiator would enter into the Colosseum in Rome... Only one gladiator, two would enter, one would leave. That's the idea. Satan is going to come at you. You want the armor of Christ to so protect you that when Satan comes after you, after he has done everything, you are standing and he is not. That's the idea here. But for most of us, we struggle with this because you think, well, Dwayne, that's not my experience. I mean, Dwayne, I was just tempted last night and I... I gave in to that temptation, whatever that was. I haven't honored the Lord with my wealth in I don't know how long. I've been bitter and it's just been growing. And I know the Lord's spoken to me about it, but my anger, whatever it would be. And here we find that Paul's saying you've got to be so careful as to how you battle. Listen to this. This is from the book of Ephesians. 
I think this is on the screen. We were dead. We are now alive. We were under the dominion of Satan. We are now seated in the heavenly realms. We were objects of wrath. We are now his glorious inheritance. We were separate from Christ. We've been brought near. We were foreigners. We're now fellow citizens. We were aliens. We're now adopted into God's household. We were in darkness. We are now in light. Is that not glorious good news? You see the contrast there? Is that not beautiful what Jesus Christ has done for you? What he's accomplished for you? Now most of us have never been in war. I have never been in a war except against raccoons. Amy and I have lived in our house for 21 years and last year the raccoons decided that they were going to tackle it, take our house on. So I go into the backyard one day and, you know, we just had a garbage bin where you just kind of got to twist the lid and it was fine. These raccoons figured out how to untwist the lid and there's garbage everywhere. So I thought, well, it was a fluke. Put the lid back on, twist the lid, garbage all over the next day. I thought, huh, I'm dealing with a smarter, smarter raccoon. So I put the lid back on, I put a brick on top of it. I'm good for a couple of days, about third day in. The brick's tipped over and broken. The thing is tipped over, the lid is open, there's garbage everywhere. So I get a bigger brick, right? So finally, because this raccoon is going on, I'm convinced there's been some type of genetic development in this raccoon, and it might be something out of Guardians of the Galaxy. Possibly it's Rocket. So I know it's not Rocket. Just no one email me. <laughs> um, somebody online is going to say, really, Dwayne? Um, so so then, then I decide I'm going to go out. I go to Canadian Tire, and I'm like, I'm like, I need the garbage can of which no raccoon can enter. And they're like, we got it for you. I don't care how much it costs, I said. I'm done cleaning up garbage in my backyard. So I go, and I get this garbage can that not only twists, but it locks to the handles. And I'm like, this is it. The girls come to me the next morning. I'm sitting in the living room doing my devotions. They're like, Dad, Dad, have you seen the backyard? It's like 620. I'm like, no, why? Our garbage can is out in the middle of the yard. Way beyond the pool, but, but the raccoon couldn't get in. I'm like, I've won. Yeah. And the raccoon, again and again, day after day, in the middle of the backyard. So I'm like, I've won. I go out one morning to go cycling, and my recycle, not my recycling, my green bin is now tipped over. And mine had a snap on it. The raccoon has broken the snap. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And there's just disgusting green bin, whatever is in that green bin that collects over time, that never comes out of the bottom. Maybe you're better at cleaning out than I am. I, I pray for those garbage people every time they come and collect mine. I'm like, Lord, that stench. And, and so then, the everywhere, everywhere. So now I double bungee cord the top of my green bin because I had one bungee cord on it. And in October, I said to Amy at about, I don't know, 7.30 at night, I said, just take it out to Greenwood. She said, I won't go out there. There's raccoons. I said, there's not raccoons at 7.30. So I go out there. At that time, I only had one bungee cord at the top. And I think, this isn't bad. But it was, the top was kind of a jar a bit. And I, I took the bungee cord. I lifted it up. And a raccoon leapt out at me. <laughs> and, and, you know, I don't normally shriek. But I just wasn't expecting it. And I think the neighbors thought I died in our backyard. Because I was shocked. And I didn't know raccoons could shriek. But when I shrieked, it shrieked. And, and it didn't know what to do because it was kind of caught between me. And I just kind of stood back and said, you go. You, like you, right? But I won. Double bungee cord, double locked. That's the only war I've ever been in. As, as Paul is thinking of war, of battle, he wants us to put on the armor of God. Because our battle's not against something as simple as raccoons. It's against principalities and powers. 
It's against this dark world. It's against forces. Some people think he's thinking of the men that are guarding him. That is a possibility. Can I suggest he may also be thinking of Isaiah 59? Listen to this, verses uh, 15 and following. The Lord looked down and was displeased. There was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. Note that. His arm achieved salvation. His righteousness sustained him. Verse 17. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. So right there you have a couple of the armaments mentioned back in Isaiah 59. So Paul in verse 14 says, stand firm. And you strap the truth around your waist with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. So this is what? What is this truth? Some people say this is telling the truth. Well, that could be it. But I actually think it's, 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 it's not about us doing the right thing. I think it's about what Christ has done for us. I, I believe it's, about, it's about, about believing what Christ has done for us. So that means this is the truth of the gospel. The truth, the belt of truth buckled around your waist is the truth of the gospel. It's knowing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's knowing that the Christian philosophy, ideology, the Christian worldview can stand up against any ideology or philosophy in the world. Because it's true. It's the truth. It means that when you're talking with your neighbor and they have a different ideology or philosophy, that what you believe is the truth. It means that when you hear your professor at school talking about an ideology or philosophy that's not aligned with the gospel, that what you believe is the truth. And they would say, of course, the belt most, pulls most of the armament together. It holds it together. And what you want is secure knowledge that what you believe is true. That the gospel itself is true. So you stand firm by strapping truth around your waist. You stand firm by securing Christ's righteousness to you. Note, it's with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Well, what is this righteousness? Is this your righteousness? Well, I'd like to suggest it's Christ's righteousness. Now, he grants us his righteousness, right? We're righteous because of him. But listen to this. Now, of course, I'll just say this. The breastplate protecting your vital organs, right? That's the idea of the breastplate. But listen to this from Romans 3. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. He said there's a righteousness that's made known to which the law and the prophets all testify because you could never be made righteous by the law and the prophets. You could never be made Christ-like. You could never be holy enough. You never made perfect by the law and the prophets. Verse 22. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So the righteousness of Christ is given to anyone who believes through faith. It's his righteousness to us. Philippians 3. When Paul the apostle has just walked through all of the reasons why he could boast and yet couldn't. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, right? He, he, he's a Jewish person. He, he was the epitome of the Jewish people. What is more, he said, verse 8, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. That's rubbish. That's your green bin. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is on the basis of faith, is by faith. 
So this is the righteousness that Christ grants you. I mean, the only reason any of us will stand before God one day in glory is because he's given us his righteousness. When God looks at us, he will see the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's the only reason we can stand before God in judgment, because of the righteousness of Jesus. You stand firm by walking in the gospel, verse 15, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. You're prepared to go. Now, I said this last year when I looked at Matthew 28. Your go is wherever God has called you to be. I looked at that through the book of Acts. So if you're here right now, this is your go. This is your go. Your go is wherever you find yourself called to be. Your neighborhood is your go. Your workplace is your go. Your school environment is your go. It's your go. Lots of people have this misconception that their go is one day if they end up overseas. Your go is wherever you are as a believer. That is your go. That is your go. And if God hasn't released you to be overseas somewhere, it's because God has called you to be here. And he says, may your feet be fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. And the whole idea there is that may, may you be ready, that, that comes from the gospel of peace, to bring the gospel, to bring the good news to the people around you. Now you pray for open doors, we'll get to that in a minute. You ask God to grant opportunity. But when those doors are open, when opportunity is given, you move forward with feet that are fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. It's a peace that God gives to people. We're going to celebrate Christmas. The next four weeks, I'm going to look at Advent. And it's a great series to invite your non-Christian friends and family to. We're going to look at hope and love and joy and peace. I don't think it's in that order. I think I'm ending with love. But we're going to look at different passages in Scripture. Next week, we're going to look at an Old Testament passage, particularly, that promises that hope will come to the nations. That's picked up in Matthew about who Jesus is and what that looks like. Listen to this. This is Luke 2. Today in the town of David... A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes lying in a manger. So a Savior's been born. He's Christ the Lord. And then the angels say what? Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with that angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. A Savior has come to bring peace. Peace between us and God. No more hostility. Reconciliation can be had. Peace between God and us. And so we want to be prepared with the readiness that comes from this gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. We need to bear our faith. Bear our faith. These were large shields. The people at the front arms, if you've seen Lord of the Rings, you know what we're talking about here with the Hobbit, right? Right? Arrows begin to be, you know, archers are there, arrows are released, and these large, sometimes they go here and above, shields are, are there. And here it says that these are arrows that are, that are full of fire. These aren't just your regular arrows. You need to extinguish these arrows. The enemy so desperately wants to destroy you. He wants to thwart the gospel. He wants to destroy the church and he wants to ruin your faith. That his arrows are flaming arrows. 
They're not just going to pierce your skin, they're going to burn. And to get an arrow like that, typically they, it would be tarred with some type of substance that was hard to put out with water. Only some type of dust would often be able to put it out. And so the idea here is that this arrow, when it hits you, it will kill you. No matter where it hits you. Because the flame can't be extinguished. Not easily. And so as the flame just works its way over you, you're burned. And you die. Unless the arrow hits you in a vital organ, and then you die because of that. So, Here, the idea is the enemy wants to destroy you. His tactics haven't changed. In the beginning, what did he do to Adam and Eve? He cast a doubt. Did God really say? That is his tactic all through history. Did God really say you can't date a non-believer? Did, did God really say, and you can take whatever you want, right? Did God really say you need to forgive those who've hurt you? That you need to forgive as Christ is forgiven? Did God really say that you shouldn't have or experience sexual relations until you're married? Did God really say, and Satan wants to cast doubt, both about how we'll live and about who Christ did? Did God really say Jesus is the way, the truth, the life? Did God really say that this book is his? Hey, what about the Quran? What about the Hindu writings? That's why it's a shield of faith. Faith is belief. Because Satan wants to cast doubt on your Christian thought. First Peter 1 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Is that not great news? You have an inheritance that cannot perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith, remember it's the shield of faith, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter picks up on this, right? You, through faith, are shielded by God's power. As he's talking about how you have an inheritance that cannot perish, spoil, or fade. And so faith extinguishes the flaming arrows of the evil one. You stand firm by wearing your adoption. You take up the helmet of salvation. That's a reminder, I'm saved. I'm a child of God. I mean, John Mahaffey and I talked about, or John Thompson, one of the Johns and I on a Sunday night talked about this. We had a lot of Johns floating around, right? Lorna Yunker Anderson, her husband's name is John. Johns came every week and, and on the Sunday night. And, and, so, and so one night, someone was asking questions, and I, and I talked briefly about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I said, if someone comes to me and says, I, Pastor, Dwayne, I'm nervous that I've blasphemed the Holy Spirit, which is the unpardonable sin. I say, if you're worried about it, you haven't done it. No one who's worried about it has done it. People who do this aren't worried about it. And so here in this moment, what you have is the, the apostle saying, and take up this helmet of salvation, secure in the fact that God has saved you. Galatians 4 says this, for when the time had fully come, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons and daughters, God has sent his spirit, the spirit of his son, into our hearts, 
the spirit who called out Abba Father, so you are no longer a slave, you are now God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. That is who you are in Christ. Is that not great news? You are a child of the living God. You are an heir of God. You are co-heirs with Christ. You are saved. If God has come along at some point in your life, you've repented of your sin, you've trusted him for salvation, you've turned from the ways in which you were running your life, and you've turned to Christ for salvation, the turning is I'm no longer going to believe in these things that I thought would give me life and hope. I'm now believing only Jesus gives me life and hope. If that is true of you, you are saved. And he says, put on that helmet of salvation. And you stand firm by wielding the word. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is the Word of God. This is the only part of the armament that has some offensive capacity. It reminds us of Jesus. We looked at this earlier in the series. In the wilderness with Satan himself, where three times Christ quotes Scripture to Satan. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and active, alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges, judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Do you know this book? Do you know this book? I, 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 um, I want to do whatever I can to help people understand this book. Whatever I can. Right? How do we do it? So... A young man in our congregation was meeting with me recently talking about his brother um, that can't read. He'll read for him. What does that look like? So I gave him a children's Bible to start and said, take your brother. I mean, this is a brother nearly his age, right? And this is a student here, right? And read this to him and see if it helps. And then I went and got the Action Bible and said, I want you to read this to him now. And just let's see if God will use his word in your brother's life. Because I believe God can do it. I've loved meeting with the Karen young men. I mean, several of them are here. They have become friends of mine, right? I, I love that now they just refer to me as Wayne. They don't call me pastor anymore. And, and I meet with a whole group of them Sunday after church at 1230. We hang out and, and we walk through some discipleship stuff. And, and, um, and I was struggling to figure out how to help them do this because sometimes English is a big barrier and reading something that they're not accustomed to. So I went out and bought a whole bunch of the Action Bibles. And said, I want you guys to go through these. I showed one of them last Sunday. And I said, I said this will give you the storyline of Scripture. Maybe you need to go and buy an Action Bible. If you can't afford one, talk to me. Our church will be happy to buy you one. And, and you need to read through it cover to cover, right? I know some of you looked at them. They, they sold out last Sunday when we had the bookstore. I know some of you came in last Sunday and thought it was Christmas. You're like, there's a bookstore at the church. Um, and it was great. Because uh, you bought some resources. But you can listen to the Bible. My wife, Amy, listens to the Bible every day. She, she's going through all of Scripture. She's going through a reading plan. She listens to Scripture. Paul Carter, Into the Word. They now have like 180,000 people listening a month. 180,000, like, or 180,000 listeners a month. Like, I think it's, those are individual listeners. And he just walks you through a passage of Scripture and explains it, walking through the Murray McShane reading plan, right? There are great plans out there like that that you can link up to, to be in the Word. I mean... One of the ways, of course, is just picking up the word and reading it yourself, right? Starting at a certain point and going through it. 
That's what we're doing as a family. Every night we just kind of, we're going through, the kids ask me to start in Genesis and work all the way through. They're old enough, the twins are 13. I'm like, all right. So every night, another chapter of scripture and we just talk about it. We just, we just sit and, and go through it. And, and um, uh, you know, earlier on, I would just do major portions of scripture. I would, I would kind of hit on the very major themes in our devotional time together. Um, or read different Bibles with them. Read the word. Whether you're digesting it by listening to it or you're digesting it by picking it up and reading it or you're going through a plan with a guy like Paul Carter. There's lots of them out there. You don't have to pick his, but, but read the word. It, it's your offensive weapon against the enemy. When he comes to you, you want to be able to quote back to him. When the flesh is tempting you, you want to have the word of God in your mind. When the world is tempting you, you want to be able to say, no, no, this is what God's word says, and it's wise, and it's true. And so the apostle grants us a number of armaments that we can put on that he tells us to stand firm in. And as we do so, whether it's the belt of truth or the breastplate of righteousness, whether it's feet fitted with readiness from the gospel, that, that the gospel of peace, whether it's faith, the shield of faith to extinguish the uh, flaming arrows of the evil one or the helmet of salvation or the sword of the spirit. God wants us to put these on and then quickly as I close in the next few minutes. So this is not like a one minute close. This is a few minute close. You pray. You pray. I just want you to note this. You pray in the spirit at all times about everything for everyone. Did you catch that? You're praying in the spirit at all times about everything for everyone. What does the passage say? And pray in the Spirit. This is an alignment with God's Spirit who is in you. God's Spirit who is in you, leading and counseling you. You want an alignment with Him. It's like Romans 8 that says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He searches our hearts, knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. There are times when you pray, and, you, and as you're praying audibly, and you're praying, you just know what to say. God, would you convict them of sin? God, would you bring righteousness into my heart? God, would you work with our, whatever it would be, right? God, would you save this person? God, would you? And there are times when you just don't know what to pray. There are many times in my life where that's been true. Last year when I took the young Karen men's funeral, 18 years old, shot three times on the streets, just a few blocks away from here, and then run over by the vehicle to make sure he was dead. And I find out that, and I offer, of course, to the crank me that I'll take the funeral. I'll go meet with the family. I remember when I found out, and I, and I just know this is going to land on me. I'm like, I don't even want to pray, God. And you're just like, ah, oh, this is just such a mess. Ah, oh, he's so young. And sometimes you're just like, ah. Oh. And the Spirit can hear that. And take whatever groan you're in in that moment. Oh, this hurts. Oh, this is hard. And interpret it to the Father. Is that not great news? You pray in the Spirit, both in terms of God's Spirit leading you to pray about whatever it is He's leading you to pray in as you're alert watching for the things you should be praying for. And when you don't know what to pray, He does so for you. Notice it's on all occasions. It's throughout the day. One of the best practices you can cultivate as a Christian is this. That you will pray as you wake up in the morning thanking God for that day. And then you will pray consistently throughout the day. I think as every Christian, we need 
a moment in the day where there's a bit of a concentrated prayer time. Where we're even down on our knees reminding our posture before our king, if you're able to do so. But then most of us don't ever think of this, but there's time in the day to pray. There's time in the day when you're between meetings at work and you just say, God, I'm going to this next meeting. Would you open the doors of this next meeting so I can be a witness? God, would you allow me in this next meeting just to be a witness somehow? God can open doors. Can I tell you that? God can open doors, any door. He's a great God. God, would you open this door? God, would you open that door? You just begin to pray that God would do it. You just begin to ask the Lord to do it. You're going to meet with a brother or sister. You're driving with that night, and you're, you're at a 10-minute drive, and on the drive, instead of just flipping on music, I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but you, you just pray, God, would you be with me as I go to meet with my brother or sister? God, would you be with me? Would you help me to minister to them? You're transitioning at work from one thing to another, or you're studying, and you're transitioning from one subject to another. You say, God, would you be with me as I study this next subject? God, would you help me to be a witness there? Some of you work in environments where you're constantly in contact with people. God, would you open doors in their lives? He does it, he does it, he does it, he does it, he does it. I've agonized over whether or not to share this. I don't want to sound heroic. I recently took a course at Harvard at a doctoral level. I was praying for open doors during this course. God, would you just open a door, right? It was, a, it was like a seven-day course, two days one week, five days the next. And uh, there were five profs in the course from Harvard, and there were uh, uh, three administrators. And so I was just praying for open doors, praying for open doors, praying for open doors. Before every uh, session, they would start with a song. So Monday morning, because they're going to do the, the Freedom, uh, I can't remember what's called, the Freedom something, which is a group of, of three organizations that have come together to be able to fight and eradicate slavery in the world um, by 2030. They're all on the call with us. There's 40 of us on the call. It's, 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 it's a governance thing, and it's nonprofit governance people from all around the world. I was only Canadian, and as you're kind of sitting there, uh, the combined revenue of all the people in the room not, not personally, but of the organization's annual, was $2.6 billion. So because they're going to do this eradication of slavery, what's the song they play before the course that morning? It's Amazing Grace. And the professor says, does anybody know what this song is about? Bloop! My hand goes up. Right? Because I've been praying for an open door. And so I begin to share what Amazing Grace is about. If just John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, how he was a slave ship owner, how he couldn't become free from what he had done and all, the tra- tra- all, the, all, all, all of the evil that he had done. He had found Jesus Christ, more so Jesus Christ had found him and saved him. And I'm, I'm talking about this. And I said, and he was converted. And the professor interrupts me and says, converted from being a slave ship owner to an abolitionist. And I said, no, no. I said, respectfully, converted from being a slave ship owner and sinner who was doing all kinds of evil to someone who was saved by the glorious King Jesus Christ the Lord. That's what happened. And then I went on to share the gospel just for a few minutes in class. In the chat, like lady from Africa, right? Nigeria is like, praise the Lord. Gospel being shared in the class, right? Next guy from Brazil is like praying everyone's saved by the end of the week, right? And I'm like, yeah, Lord, this is awesome. Uh, another guy from Africa is like now pastor. He's like, because he, he's in there. Now he's messaging me and he's saying, we want you to come to Africa. I'm like, oh Lord. Um, so, so here's the thing. God can open doors anywhere, any place, any time. He is a good God and his gospel is the word of truth. It is the word of truth. It is salvation for anyone who believes. And so you pray on all occasions 
about everything. Do you see that? With all kinds of prayers and requests, anything that comes your way. I mean, this week I traveled with Sam Alvary the whole week. So I talked to all kinds of people at our denominational meeting. I talked to all kinds of people in meetings uh, Wednesday night and Thursday morning at the Gospel Coalition meeting and all kinds of people that just wanted prayer. And you just pray for people. You just, you just sometimes right there on the spot, sometimes you know, you'll pray for them. All kinds of prayers and requests, all kinds of things that came my way for everyone. With this in mind, be alert, be on the watch, and always keep on praying for all of God's people. And then Paul says, believe God for clarity, just so you guys can come up. Pray that whenever I speak, words would be given me that I can fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am in chains. Paul has written Romans. And he's saying, hey, would you um, pray that I can proclaim the gospel clearly? How do we understand the gospel? Well, one of the books we read is Romans. Galatians. If Paul's asking for, for clarity and being able to share the gospel, we should be praying for that. And notice twice he says, pray that I can declare it fearlessly, as I should. I mean, he's in chains. He gets to defend himself. But he says, help me not to cave, help me not to be afraid. So stand firm. Put on God's armor. Pray diligently and relentlessly. Can I suggest that for most of us, the reason we can't battle the enemy is because we don't pray. Notice prayer isn't given an armament because it's the foundation for the battle. It's what undergirds the whole thing. That's why he says pray for everyone about everything all the time. Oh, may our days be filled with prayer. May God grant us wisdom as we battle to know what is the flesh, what is the world, and what is the enemy himself. May it be true of each of us that we will be strong in the Lord and his mighty power, that we will put on the full armor of God so we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. And after we've put on that armor, when the day of evil comes, we will be able to stand our ground. And after we have done everything, we will still be standing. God, we are thankful that you not only have granted us salvation, but you've granted us ways to fight in this world against your enemy, ours, Satan. God, may you cause us to be a people who are prayerful. May you cause us to be a people who intentionally put on this armor. May we battle. May we fight. Knowing that it's your righteousness your faith, your word, your salvation granted to us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.